MH Productions presents a limited series, Time for Trish. We're your hosts, Connor and Dove. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are, it will beat to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. It's the way the famous Rocky Balboa quote goes, right? Some people, though, are able to see the good in everyone. They're able to forgive and forget easily, extending olive branches and trust instead of harboring resentment. Trish Haynes was one of those rare people. She believed in the good she saw in others. She wore a smile on her face and her heart on her sleeve. It was Trish's sympathetic nature that ultimately led her to the monsters that preyed on her tender heart. Monsters that are currently walking free as you listen to this. We hope this series evokes anger and we hope it evokes frustration inside you. It should and it will. And we say this because we need your help. Trisha's family needs your help. By the end of the series, we ask you to join the other warriors in Trisha's army marching toward justice. Before we explain the requests we just made, let's start at the very beginning. Trish Danielle Haynes was born July 22, 1992, in Stewart, Florida. She should have been about to turn 30 this year. Her mother, Megan, was very young when she had Trish, so Trish's grandmother, Sandy, became her legal guardian when she was just a toddler. Megan remained an active part of her daughter's life, though. Trish was raised by strong women. We were fortunate enough to speak with some of them in an effort to better understand who Trish was growing up. At two and a half... I wake up at about 7.30 in the morning. Trish, no matter what time we went to bed, we got up at 6. <laughs> she was up at 6. It didn't matter if we went to bed at midnight. It didn't matter if we went to bed at 9 o'clock. She was up at 6. <laughs> so I get up about 7.30, and I walk into my kitchen, and at the time, Quick was in a metal container, and you had to pop the lid with a spoon. Yeah because it was a metal container. Well, yeah. she watched me do that enough at two and a half that not only was Trish covered in chocolate quick, <laughs> my whole entire teacher was covered in chocolate quick. Oh <laughs> and I couldn't do anything but laugh. <laughs> oh my God, was she just like eating? If I had a cell phone back then, I would have taken pictures. <laughs> it was adorable. Yeah, that was my girl. She was a good girl. She, she... She was the type of person that would literally take the shirt off her back and get it to you. And she's told me a story that a girl was walking down the street in the rain and she made her boyfriend pull over and she gave her her shirt and gave the girl a ride because the girl needed to go. Because she was dry and the girl was wet and the girl needed a dry shirt. So that was the type of person Trish was. Um, well, we're her grandparents, so she liked the oldies. Um, I would dance with her to some of the newer ones that I would hear. I loved her so much. I couldn't have loved her anymore. She was my own. Trisha's great aunt Val helped raise her as well. Well, I can start out with the fact that I was there and saw her within hours of her being born. It was special. And she was a beautiful child. She was 
dark olive skin and big brown eyes and just the cutest little thing that you've ever seen. I had to take her shopping and I'll dress her up in little clothes. It was so cute. And then we took her to the aquarium when she was very young. Um, I was able, I was, had a good time with her. I took her to, um, let's see, The Lion King when it first came out and she, that was the first movie she ever went to. That was another memory that I had of her. Yeah. Um, and then as she got older, she trusted everybody. She wanted to be friends with everybody and much too trusting. Trish, like most of us, had her challenges in life, but she was no stranger to love. Those in her life absolutely adored her. She grew up knowing raw, unconditional love. It is no surprise that she tried to extend the same care toward those she met. Trish, like many people her age, loved Facebook, and she loved social media. She had mastered the selfie, showing her big brown eyes and soft smile. Her About Me section on her page read, I am a kind and caring, independent person. I love my family and friends and will do anything for them. When we interviewed her friends and family, they were quick to agree that she was happy and trusting. She wanted to see the best in everyone, sometimes giving others the benefit of the doubt and extending second chances to those who were not deserving of them. We are not going to sugarcoat anything. Trisha's case is absolutely devastating. There are numerous times when reading about what happened, they had to pause, take a breath, maybe close the browser for a moment. But while doing all the research for this show, we found some solace in hearing stories about her from those who were lucky enough to get to know her. We wanted to share one clip from a friend of Trisha's from the first time that they met. For privacy purposes, we will be altering the voice of her friend. I met her when I was probably nine years old, I think. She was a little bit older than me, for a year or two. Um, I lived at a country club, or I didn't live at the country club. I lived beside the country club, and she and her grandmother used to go to the country club and go swim. And I, um, I snuck up there because I was a kid with no friends and I had no family. I was adopted by my grandparents, so I had the same kind of grandparent thing going on. And I would just kind of run around and I found her one day at the pool. I snuck in. And that's the first time I met her. And we played in the pool together for the first time and we were just two young girls that were, you know, Having fun in this wicked expensive pool. And uh, when time came to say goodbye, I was extremely annoying. So I pushed myself on her grandmother and gave her my phone number and my information and everything else to try and keep a friend because I didn't have any friends. I was a very big outcast. I was homeschooled for quite a while and we got through that and um, we just kind of started. Spending more and more time together. Mm-hmm. I remember my grandmother, who was, I called my mom, she's my number one. Um, mm-hmm. She was very hesitant to let us spend time together because it was like, you know, you just met this girl, you don't know her. But after so many days, weeks, you know, we were young, but 
um, we kind of started to mold together, and then I would start public schools, and then I would start seeing her there as well, and it became this crazy ride of, like, making bus passes and, like, running around behind our family's backs to spend time together and, like, making up lives and excuses to, like, get to see each other. And um, by the time, you know, we we got older, you know, like, 11, 12 years old, somewhere around there, it was, it was like, time for the sleepover. Like, my family was really quiet about it. They never like I said, they're friends really, and she was like my sister, basically. While the quote may be overused at times, it certainly rang true for Trish. She lit up a room. She was spunky and loved trying new things, but she was also kind and loyal to those who knew her. The photos we have been shown of her just showcase her quirky, lovable side. In a few of them, she sports fun-colored hairstyles, funky glasses, and a wide grin. Perhaps this case resonated so deeply with us, as it will with you, because Trish could have been a friend to any of us. She wasn't malicious or conniving. She was murdered in cold blood for absolutely no reason. If you have never heard of her story, you may be wondering who took her life and why. Well, we need to rewind four years before her death to the year 2014. According to the National Coalition Against Dating Violence, in a single year, more than 10 million people will experience abuse from an intimate partner. One in three women and one in four men have experienced physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. If you walk outside, sit in a food court, wait in line at the RMV, you are more likely than not in the same space as someone who has been a victim of DV. When Trish was 22 years old, she began a relationship with a man named Chris. Soon the two moved in together in a quaint apartment in rural New Hampshire. The two of them worked at the same restaurant in downtown North Woodstock. Trish had moved up to New Hampshire when she was 11, and while she had friends in the area, her home base was always Florida. By the time Trish lived with Chris, her grandmother was back residing in Florida. During her lifetime, Trish had moved around between states like Florida, North Carolina, and New Hampshire. Her great-aunt Val spent her winters down in Florida too, close to Sandy. She would visit New Hampshire in the summer, but she spent most of her time down in Florida, staying warm and sharing her time with her sister-in-law. Chris was not just a man with a volatile personality, he was abusive. And he harmed Trish to the point where her injuries were difficult to cover. Those who saw Trish took notice of her miscellaneous cuts and bruises. Escaping violent dating relationships is no small feat, and it can often take more than one attempt. Victims may fear the repercussions of leaving, or face threats from their abusive partners. The factors delaying a victim from leaving are often complex and very personal. And we are not here to speculate, and we're certainly not here to judge. But in 2017, after three years of living with her violent partner, Trish went to local authorities to file a police report. After learning of the charges, Chris begged Trish to drop them. And so before the two broke up, Trish recanted her statement to the police. The charges were dropped and the couple split to continue their separate ways. While Trish extended a level of forgiveness toward Chris, New Hampshire did not show her the same understanding. The authorities charged Trish with filing a false police report after she recanted her statement. Trish, a victim of indisputable dating violence, was now being pursued by the state. Despite the upcoming court date scheduled for early January, 
Trish had a positive attitude about her situation. She had returned home to Florida to be with her loved ones, and would fly to New Hampshire for the hearing. Even though her relationship had not ended the way she hoped, she was grateful for her family and understood the severity of the summons. After all, Trish had gone to school in New Hampshire. Surely she could stay with a friend to attend her hearing before returning to Florida to start the next chapter in her life. Trish's summons required her to appear in the district court for North Woodstock. While North Woodstock is a tourist destination in the winter for skiing and overpriced ice castles, the number of permanent residents is actually less than 600. And if you've ever driven through these rural New Hampshire towns, you're probably familiar with another fact. Many of them are plagued with unreliable and often unavailable cell service. Trish reconnected with a friend from school, Becky, who lived in one of these small New Hampshire towns. Given that she was just visiting with, for the purpose of attending her hearing, Trish did not have a job to keep her occupied during the day while Becky worked. Trish also had a long-term disability, and during this time, she was able to support herself independently through government checks. So imagine yourself in Trish's shoes for a moment. Without a close friend base, a car, or a job to pass her time, Trish spent the majority of her days alone. This is not to diminish the incredible friend Becky was to her. She opened her home to Trish. During the majority of the day, though, with Becky at work and minimal cell service to entertain her, Trish was feeling the effects of constant loneliness. Trish's court date had originally been scheduled for January. As the date was approaching, she got word that the hearing would be pushed out another three months, at least. A new attorney had been assigned the case, and they needed time to prepare. Desperate for a change of scenery, after weeks of isolation, she was intrigued when another old classmate of hers, Ashley Rupp Smith, reconnected with her and offered up her home as a place to stay. Grafton, New Hampshire, while a far cry from New York City, was farther south than when Trish was staying with Becky. There was cell phone service and a population of around 1,400. Sure, Trish would have much preferred to move back to warm Florida with her family, but if she had to spend more time in New Hampshire during the winter, she decided it was worth it to move to an area that was less secluded. There's a classic idiom that goes, your reputation precedes you. And while it certainly has been used as a complimentary remark to recognize the outstanding qualities of a person, in this case, well, Ashley's reputation preceded her for the wrong reasons. Out of respect for those who shared their stories with us about Ashley, we will be preserving their anonymity. The TLDR here is simple. Ashley Ruff Smith, as her name alludes to, was trouble. You know that one friend everyone has in high school that their parents don't much care for? Maybe they're a bad influence. Well, Ashley was that friend. Not because of any material reason or prejudice, but simply because she had a history of exhibiting concerning behaviors and bullying those around her. She didn't just hang with a bad crowd. She was the bad crowd. Trish, trusting and open-minded as she was, was excited about the opportunity to live in an area that was closer to the more populated parts of New Hampshire, even if that meant living in a space with an unsavory character. When they were growing up, Trish was not allowed to go over to Ashley's house, and it was for good reason. Her parents lived in a filthy home covered in waste and garbage. The squalid conditions led the couple to being found guilty in 10 counts of child endangerment in the early 2000s. Ashley lived with her parents and four other siblings in the house when she was in school. In 2007, her mother was convicted on separate, unrelated criminal trespassing charges. This is not to shame Ashley for a situation that was outside of her control. Her parents failed her. She grew up in conditions that no child should have to live with. 
And while her traumatic childhood may have influenced the person she became, it certainly does not go on to excuse her deplorable treatment of Trish Haynes. Her actions toward a woman she referred to as a friend are monstrous. The harsh reality is that many children unfortunately grow up in situations or conditions that are horrific. Those same children don't all go on to allegedly murder another person. We can acknowledge that Ashley had a traumatic childhood while also recognizing that she exhibited remorseless, calculated behavior in her adult life. In January of 2018, Trish informed her family that she's going to be leaving Becky's home to stay with Ashley in Grafton. A chill ran down her grandmother's spine. She not only remembered Ashley, she remembered her extreme dislike and distrust of the young woman. I'm sure Sandy tried to reassure herself it would only be a short time. A few months, that's all, and Trish would be back in Florida, ready to start the new chapter in her life. When Trish moved to Grafton, a small town with cell service, it was perplexing to her loved ones that they were hearing less from her. Surely she had to be getting the messages, the calls. The horrific details of the torture Trish would suffer were worse than any of them could imagine. 